What a crazy life our next guest has lived. On the show today is Joe Serio, author of the critically acclaimed book, Investigating the Russian Mafia, and a new book titled Vodka Hookers and the Russian Mafia. Now, friends, don't let the title scare you. As you know with this show, the stories from guests, they've got to be good and they've got to be clean. This conversation is more of a history lesson in Russian culture, and Joe is the perfect person to do that. He's an endless amount of stories from dealing with the KGB, the Russian mafia, and living in a socialist country during the Cold War. And I think like us, you're going to be surprised by some of his stories and what he sees as some scary similarities in America today compared to what he experienced in the Soviet Union during the mid-80s. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this. All right, then. Let's get started. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Steph, I am absolutely thrilled to speak to this next guest. However, let's do our best not to turn this into a two-hour podcast episode. Which would be very easy to do. It would be very easy to do. Considering we've just spoke with him for like 15 minutes before we Before we hit record, yes, yes. Absolutely. Friends... Our next guest holds a lot of titles. He has a PhD in criminal justice. He's a full-time professional speaker, trainer, author, and a new TV star because he was recently featured in an episode of 48 Hours on CBS. However, I believe his biggest accomplishment to date is now becoming the very first repeat guest of this radio show and podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us Good Story, Mr. Joe Serio. Welcome back. Hello, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to us again. Yes. Now, let me do a disclaimer here. You are the very first repeat guest on this radio show and podcast who is not related to us. (laughs) So that's, that's the disclaimer, right? But, oh my gosh, we had our initial conversation with Joe back in November Mm. and it was episode 49 and had an amazing conversation. So much fun. And ever since then, we've actually kept in touch mm-hmm. with Joe. And what did <gasps> he do on your birthday? So? Okay, okay, okay. So I had a long day at work, you guys. I had to work on my birthday. Which, which... already made her mad. <laughs> I was not happy. And I had to explain to my wife, Joe, that most people actually work on their birthday. You can't just call off because it's your birthday. It's not a national holiday. <laughs> but here's the thing, guys. As a nurse, I'm able to flip-flop my days so I never have to work on my birthday. So anyways, come home, and there are a dozen cupcakes. On and our I'm, front porch. On our front porch. <gasps> And if y'all know, food and especially sweets is my love language. And I'm like, Kevin, he's like, I didn't get you this. Uh, I was very tempted. Like, Like, you're welcome, honey. I should have known it wasn't (laughs) from him. And we found out they were from Joe. And oh my gosh, you guys. First of all, they were delicious. And he does not live locally. No. Right? Where are you at? Austin? I was going to say Texas. Texas. Yeah. So he's in Texas. So you guys, he found out it was my birthday, searched for a 
bakery that was close to our house that would deliver a dozen cupcakes to our house. And it was delivered on the correct day. And it was delivered so, on the correct day. So it uh. wasn't as if Joe got on Facebook and was like, oh, today's Stephanie Mason's birthday. Oh, no. He would have had to plan this way in advance uh. to have our address, figure out a bakery in the area. How long is it going to take? to deliver so it's on your birthday December 30th amazing well the thing is I knew it was your birthday and I knew you loved cupcakes from the show because I listened to all your episodes and somewhere in there it was mentioned so I just made a note of it about six months before your birthday and put it Uh, on my calendar a week before your birthday to start you know checking things out and you easy. need to take low lessons from Joe. I do that all the no, time. No, you don't do that all the time. <laughs> I do. That was impressive. Steph, I've got a reminder for your birthday on my phone, just like Joe does. Okay? <laughs> it's like the day of. <laughs> oh, wish my wife a happy birthday. Oh, I got to go get a card. I got to get a card the day of my wife's Kids, birthday. trace your hand on this card, please. <laughs> 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 but Joe, I want to say one thing to you, right? Before we really get into some of your stories and conversations. So when we had episode 49... The first few minutes, you actually just paused it and asked if you could say something. And you gave Steph and I some of the biggest compliments, talking about how important it was what we do with this now now radio show and podcast. It wasn't a radio show back then. But over the past six months, there have been multiple days, Joe, where I've had a very challenging day. And while I'm driving, I will kick on that episode and I will go to those five minutes and I'm not kidding here. I will go to those five minutes and I will listen to the encouraging words you had just to remind me of what we are doing and why we are doing this. And the reason I'm staying up till 2 a.m. last night editing a podcast episode for our producer so he has it first thing this morning, right? And me getting four and a half hours sleep like I did last night, right? So thank you because probably five or six times in the last six months, I have actually clicked on our prior conversation and it has given me that nugget of hope, encouragement, and reminder why we are doing this. So thank you. You're welcome. You know, a part of my job and part of the meaning of my life is to train and deliver classes and write books in such a way that people can refer to them, to work through those moments when they feel the most vulnerable, afraid, pessimistic, whatever, because I've been there a million times and I know how it feels. And I know that you two have such number one, amazing chemistry with each other on the podcast and amazing guests and amazing messages to deliver to people who need to hear it as much as you need to hear my thing every once in a while. So what I'm doing for you, you're doing for us. So it it all works. Let me just put one more thing in there just to put on, on top of the pile. (laughs) I also, I also read your book, You Met Her Where, and I laughed through that entire book with all the horrible things that you guys had to experience and the way that you handled them. And the thing that I was thinking through the book was, wow, oh, if that ever happened to me, I wish I could handle it the way these guys did. Oh. I, if this happened to me, I wish I could come out the other side the way these guys did. And then I passed the book off to my sister and she's reading it. And it's just, It's the message, right? Everything about life is the message. What message are you conveying to other people? And you guys are conveying great messages. That's what it comes down to. Oh, thank you. Well, Steph, let's talk about his new book. Yes. Coming out. Yes. So I've read a portion of the manuscript, the draft. He sent me a couple months ago and asked for a testimonial. Okay. So sent him just a couple sentences. 
and a few weeks ago, he sent me a draft of his book cover. And guess who is the very first testimonial? Let me guess you. Yes, it is me. (laughs) 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 But I was shocked. I was shocked that, that Joe thought highly enough of us to actually put us on the back of his book let alone like big, bold letters and stuff. So we are, we're thrilled to be able to help you out in any way we can, Joe. And same here. We are stuck with each other, I think. <laughs> yes, I think we, we are. are. <laughs> I think we are. And the name of your book is what? Vodka, Bookers, and the Russian Mafia, My Life in Moscow. Yes. Yeah. And after reading this, I never want to go visit Russia. All right. <laughs> so we can just take this off my bucket list because it was bizarre world. Absolutely bizarre world. So can you please share with listeners, because I think the title, the title is very attention grabbing, but give it context, some of the stories in this from your however many years living in Russia. Well, and give it context why you chose that title specifically. Well, regarding the title itself, it just appeared in in my head. I didn't think about it. It just appeared in my head and one shot in one piece and I wrote it down. And, it, and that's it. That's the only title I've considered since then. So when I go out to speak at conferences and do trainings, when somebody introduces me, I put the name of the book in my introduction. So they would read it out loud. And while they're reading it out loud, I watched the audience. And the audience kind of perked up. And vodka hookers and the Russian mafia, I got to buy that book. And frankly, but what they don't know is that this is not like a frat a frat boy book. It's more about my experiences in observing Russia. And one aspect of that happened to be prostitutes because I had interaction with them for professional reasons, meaning I, I worked with a film crew out of LA. We made a couple of movies about Russia. One was cops around the world. One was prisons around the world where I had to get the film crew into inside Russian prisons. And the other one was prostitutes around the world. So that was one of the reasons why we got connected with that topic. Because I was there in the 90s when the economy collapsed, when the Soviet Union had disappeared, there were hookers everywhere. I walk out of my office, whatever, 10 o'clock at night sometimes, and one block over from my office, there's this dirt lot located directly across the street from the organized crime control headquarters. And at that hour, cars would kind of come up to the curb and in the empty lot would be 50 women. Oh my gosh. And the guys would come to pick out a girl and leave. And you start realizing that people were doing whatever they had to do to survive in an economy where in 92, 93, 94, the, the rate of inflation was a thousand percent, 2000%, 3000% where you had that classic milk costs something in the morning and was doubled by the afternoon. That was the environment we were living in. And the situation generally in terms of trauma and economic confusion was worse than the Great Depression. So it was really intense. It was really a difficult, difficult time for people in Russia. Joe, what surprised me was there was a story in there, and this may have been shortly after you'd moved there. You were hanging out with some friends that, that you had there in Moscow, and they told you, any woman here, you can take home tonight, right? And, yeah. and it was just this, this look of hopelessness in people's eyes in that culture in Russia, right? Yeah, there's a combination of things. You know, some of it was 
was, I guess, kind of hopelessness. Some of it was uh, entertainment. Some of it was, you know, nothing better to do. I mean, at that point, this is 1987. So Soviet Union hadn't collapsed yet. It was still the Soviet Union. It was still, you know, an environment that we certainly wouldn't be used to. And it had virtually none of the consumer attractions and electronics and all this stuff that we're used to now. No cell phones, no, none of that. So that was part of it. And the other part was the fascination of an American, because obviously you're a foreigner. And even that, I mean, it's like, okay, it's all a little sketchy in some ways, but that was the reality. And the difficult part about going into another space is bringing all of your American stuff and forcing it onto their reality and making these judgments, right? And you say, oh, well, clearly they're immoral or clearly this is hopeless or clearly this is, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, back up, shut our mouths, open our ears and watch what's going on here. Because if I were making 250 bucks a month, if I were making 300 bucks a month, which was the average salary at that point, there's an awful lot of things I would do to supplement that or to feel better about myself or to get over the hopelessness or whatever it was. Let me give you a very a, a really quick example. This is uh, where now, May of 2021, right? Yes. Over the past year, 12, 14 months, when COVID started and people said, I got to get toilet paper. We must buy every roll of toilet paper that ever existed. And, what, and we did all of that and we wiped out the shelves. And now people are waiting and they're standing and they're struggling and they're talking to friends and family. That was a bit annoying, irritating and traumatic to people, right? Because they're a little panicking, a little fear. We don't know what's coming. How do we survive? And that was, that was nothing. I mean, Russians went through that for years where not just toilet paper, but everything was in short supply, oh. which meant I had to maneuver and manipulate and, and optimize relationships with anybody that I could to make sure that I could get access to those products. Was every day just like a hustle for people in Moscow or Russia, where not that you're trying to con your way, but you're literally trying to con your way, scam your way to get whatever you needed? Yeah, you know, everything was based on relationships. A lot, of, a lot of your survival techniques were based on relationships. And, and so we would just, we would just massive stealing and we would help each other out to survive, you know, or, or bartering, you know, especially into the nineties. I went to the dentist with a woman I was dating and she brought him a loaf of bread and a steak. That's how she paid for her dentistry. I went to the dentist the second time with a friend of mine who was a cop and he brought a bottle of whiskey. And it's just this survival mechanism, which Americans have long ago forgotten, and they forgot everything else that goes with it. Russia had this history of what we call corruption and bribery and favoritism and massive red tape and all the rest of it, so that they've been playing this game for a long time. So if you walk into Russia and you say, I'm going to teach you about democracy, they're like, go away. We don't need you. We don't need to. We're going to swallow you whole. Yeah. And that's what they did in the 90s with a lot of foreigners. So what was it like when they saw you come into their country? You're an American. You're not used to this demographic or economic way of life. 
how did you appear to them? So the first time I went to Russia, I already knew Russian. I already knew at least some Russian. So as soon as you say a couple of words in their language, the barriers start coming down. Like, oh, you've taken enough effort. You know what this is? This is sending Stephanie cupcakes. That's what this Uh is. So if I do the equivalent of sending Stephanie cupcakes in Russia, which means I show up and I'm speaking your language and I'm thinking about you and I'm putting you first before me, they start opening up like crazy. Like even my first trip in 1986, I started talking to people who were in the hotel that I was in and and I just say a few words and and they start laughing and smiling. And, And then when I, when I did my internship in the Soviet national police, in 1990-91, I was the only American to work in the organized crime control department of the Soviet National Police. And now I was just everybody's little brother. And they wanted to show me stuff. So they just kept showing me all kinds of crazy things because they want, they knew I was interested and I was there working with them. So they would just show me, they would take me drinking, they would take me out on the road, they would take me out at night, they would take me to secret places in the middle of forests, they would take me inside prisons, they would take me... Anything I wanted to go see, they would take me because I was everyone's little brother. And I was still just in my 20s. And you know, when I did that internship, I was 24 years old. And it just opened doors. Here, here's the bottom line. If you don't be an ugly American and you try to understand their reality and we listen as much as we you know, argue and criticize and, and judge, then people are going to they're gonna open up things for you and they tell you how their reality is, you know, I was just going to say that if you show people empathy, they're more willing to let you in than being I'm better than you or I'm a cocky American. Right. Let me show you how our country works. If you just have empathy, I think that gets you a lot farther. All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> What's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. So you, you mentioned, Joe, some of the crazy places and you wrote about some of this in the book. Can you share a story of one of the crazy places they took you when you were in Russia? Because just the novelty of, hey, I got to show you this, right? What, what was one of these crazy places? Oh, so many, so many stories flooding. So one very quick, they were always taking me to bathhouses and, and saunas and steam rooms and all that. And one steam room we went to was in a performance stadium. And it was downstairs in the basement. And so we were, you know, vodka shots, vodka shots, vodka shots, table covered with food. And then we do shots. And then you go into the steam room and you um, have, these, out. <laughs> <laughs> you have these branches of, I don't know what the plants were, but branch. And they whip you with the branch to open what? up, to open up the, your pores. 
And, and it's, what? It, what? It, <laughs> what? It's a thing. It's a thing. Very light, very light kind of branches, and they would beat your legs and your back, and it would open up the pores so you'd have a better effect from the steam. And you do that, and then you get out and you jump into this ice cold pool for like 30 seconds max, and then you get out and get back to the table. So you're drinking, sweating, cooling off, drinking, sweating, cooling off. And you can do that round, you know, whatever, 10 times or whatever it was. But upstairs from us was Boris Yeltsin, the president of Russia, and his speaker of parliament and these other guys upstairs watching a performance of an ice skating, of a figure skating event. So it's just like, <laughs> like, that's just a little silly. And that's not even, you know, I mean, they, so that was kind of interesting and ridiculous. Wasn't there a story, Joe, that I read where one of the crazy places they took you was participating in a parade? Mm, yeah. Right? Can you tell Steph that story? Yeah. So the Soviet Union had two major parades a year. May 1st, which was the May Day Parade, which is basically socialist labor celebration. And then on November 7th, they would have missiles and rockets and tanks go across Red Square in celebrating the founding of the Soviet Union, basically, Russian Revolution. And so I had met on Red Square, I had met a guy named uh, Volodya, who was painting pictures of Red, of St. Basil's, that, that cathedral on Red Square with the onion dome, yes. colorful, kaleidoscopic looking building. And I said, you know, excuse me, would you answer some questions for me? And he said, sure, but buy a painting first. So if you think you're going to come in here and pull a fast one on them, you know, think again. So I buy a painting from Volodya, which I had up until just a couple of years ago. And then we became friends because of what we said earlier, right? Ask some questions, go see how they live, whatever. So he said to me one day, he said, look, I have to march in the late, in the May Day Parade across Red Square, why don't you come with me? And I'm just like, well, it doesn't sound like a good idea, but okay, <laughs> let's do it. So we meet at about eight o'clock in the morning at the staging area where his factory employees were meeting. We start shots of vodka at eight o'clock in the morning. At breakfast. At breakfast, breakfast of champions. I have nothing in my stomach and we're just you know doing shots. And then we march for two hours and I'm carrying a banner a glory to socialism, you know, whatever. <laughs> the American. So thank God nobody's <laughs> taking pictures, you know. So we marched for two hours toward Red Square. And as we're, as we're re- arriving at Red Square, there's a line of people along the route. And they're looking, they're facing us. They're looking at us. And the f- one guy's in their suit with a sash that says, esteemed guest of the parade. And the next guy's in uniform. The next guy is esteemed guest of the parade. And the next guy's, in, and I'm looking at the guy in uniform like, that's KGB, that's KGB, that's KGB, that's KGB uniform. And I'm just like, now I, I don't want to even look around because I'm in Western clothing. Yeah, well, how do you blue look? Jeans. I'm in blue jeans, leather jacket, wire rim glasses. You know, back then there were a company called Pony. I had Pony sneakers. I look like an alien from another planet. So you stick out like a sore thumb as an American tourist, right? And people were looking at me the whole two hours. The people in front of me kept turning around. This group of women was like, this guy doesn't belong here. This guy doesn't belong here. And then we come across these KGB officers. I'm like, please don't tell them. Please don't tell them. I'm thinking about the women in front of me. Please don't don't point me out. Please don't point. I have no idea what's going to happen. And we just, we passed by. Nothing happened. 
And we went on to Red Square. We marched across Red Square, and Gorbachev is up on the, the top of Lenin's mausoleum, which is where the whole Politburo, the whole committee of the biggest leaders in the country are all there, you know, yelling, you know, glory to socialism, you know, that kind of stuff. And in 15, 20 seconds, we were shunted down the side street and dumped out in a park. And I was like, wait, that's it? That was it, which two hours we marched to do this thing for 15 seconds, see Gorbachev. And so we went back to doing shots of vodka. And the thing I realized was everyone around me was bored out of their minds. And it told me that these weren't people that even a lot of them didn't even believe in communism anymore. A lot of them were disillusioned and they were as bored as I was. Mm. So you talk a lot about vodka, like a lot of your stories involve vodka. Breakfast involves vodka. vodka. Like, so there's a lot of bad decisions, but no, there's a lot of stories that Russia and vodka tie together, like peanut butter and jelly. Is Is that true then? Obviously from all your stories. Yeah. At that time in 1991, when I was working with the police, we sometimes drank vodka at 10 o'clock in the morning in National Police Headquarters at the end of a meeting. We would finish meetings with shots of vodka. Oh, you know, so we always had bottles of vodka in his closet in his office. So instead of like coffee and donuts, you had vodka, <laughs> right? That's what it sounds like. That is the coffee and donuts of Moscow. So, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes we go down to the cafeteria in headquarters and have a couple of shots of vodka, whatever. Let me tell you the scariest indicator from my point of view. I'm not a big guy. I don't come from a drinking family, you know, all, all that. And when I got home from working with the Russian cops for a year, I went out with my buddies from college, drank about 15 shots of vodka oh. in one sitting straight. And I got up and walked home because by the end of my time in Russia, I could drink a quart of vodka by myself. Oh my gosh. You had that tolerance? Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know, and, and by the way, after I drank, you know, eight or 10 shots of vodka in Russia and I'm totally obliterated, they were just like, you know, they show up, they'll be at work at eight o'clock the next morning, all fresh. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of a problem. It's <laughs> kind of a problem. Oh. So you, guys, you guys are sick. You, so you went from Russian vodka American vodka. What's the difference? Well, is it is theirs that much stronger? Because when you give that one guy like a gift of vodka, he's like, oh, no. Like, wa- it's like it's not- water. Yeah, is it really yeah. watered yeah. down compared to theirs? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty hard, hardcore stuff. So do you want to ask him? Yes, okay, I have a question. I have a question. Okay, from your time in Russia to what is happening right now in America, do you see a correlation or does it make you nervous seeing what you saw and went through in Russia to what you're looking at now in the United States? Let me begin my response by saying a book I've always wanted to write on the cover, it says USA. And then there's a mirror and the reflection in the mirror is USSR. And the name of the book is USA, USSR, how we're becoming everything we hated. Mm. and part of it is from a corruption perspective and part of it is from middle class being squeezed perspective and part of it is this more recent developments in terms of radical move to the left and you know just the social fabric the legal fabric our education system i mean 
the United States is in deep trouble. I, I, I believe that we're in serious trouble and that we're in serious trouble on most of the largest indicators, like what's happening with education, the, the role of technology in the school system, and the role of religion or the, the great fleeing of people from churches and the, the lack of budget for Christian education. And, you know, a lot, all, the, all these things lead me to the, the non-scientific conclusion that if we're not careful, we could become some version of what I saw over there. And, and it feels like that, actually, in some regard. But the thing is this, people over here don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what that feels like. Right. And it also happens slowly. It's shifts in culture and all that. But things are happening, and they seem to have been accelerated recently, where decisions are being made that, that don't seem to be in the best interests of the country as a whole. And I think it will reflect some of what I saw 30 years ago in the Soviet Union. One thing that surprised me when I was reading your book was like this godless society that you saw where there was a lack of religion, lack of belief, lack of faith. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one thing that's important to know is that historically the church has been part of the state. The church has been part of the state under the control of the state. I'll tell you the story about Gennady, who was my supervisor, who was number two guy over organized crime control for the country. His daughter gave birth and they were having a baptism at his daughter's apartment. And they invited me to go. So the church existed. It's a Christian church. It's based off of the Byzantine kind of Greek Orthodox, that kind of thing. So it wasn't the lack of church and it wasn't the lack of a belief in God, but it was taken over by the state. Okay. So I'm standing there in the apartment. Gennady's standing behind me. He's a colonel in the Soviet police, and there's a priest in black robe baptizing the baby, and Gennady standing behind me says, Major. I said, what? He goes, Major. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the priest is probably a major in the KGB. So you have all of this very tight intertwining of state, government, mafia, church, all business, all of it swims together. And there were also KGB informants in every walk of life. So to have a priest who was either an informant or actual KGB agent, not that surprising. I have ideas of who I think was reporting to the KGB, but I don't know. You don't know these things. Yeah, You never know for sure. Do you constantly feel like you're being spied on? Wherever you go, whoever you're talking to, someone has either ulterior motive or that your apartment's bugged? Was it a constant state of awareness on alert at all times? Not really. I think, you know, people ask me that question a lot. I think the reason was when I was studying there in 1987 for six months, we had wires in our ceiling that were making noise. And we just assumed that it was some kind of listening system. And we called it Boris. And we, when we went to class, we, one of my roommates told the teacher about Boris, and she was thoroughly embarrassed and annoyed. But when you hear stories about our next-door neighbors, who were also American students, talking to each other about how they've run out of toilet paper, and toilet paper appears at the door before anyone leaves, it's like, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I've heard stories like that 
from many people outside of our group over the years who said, yeah, stuff would just pop up, like stuff I needed. It's kind of like being on the internet right now. You know, I'm I'm searching for new guitars and all of a sudden all these ad, ads for guitars pop right. up. It was the non-technology version of that. That in real life. Yeah, that in real life. So that was weird. But the, but the thing is that I got used to that really young. So none of that bothered me. And, you know, I kind of paid attention to it, but for the most part, not. When you're living in a place like Russia, I was just like, okay, that's what, that's what happens here. That's what, that's what they do. So when was the last time you were there? So I left in August of 1999. Okay. And then I went again in June of 2019 and, oh. in, and in November of 2019. And I stayed there for two weeks and I ran all over the place and it's unbelievable. It's Moscow is so much more amazing than it had been when I lived there before. And the changes were unbelievable. I saw like two Russian vehicles on the roads the whole time I was there and everything else is Fords and Kias and Volkswagens and Jaguars and Porsches and Mercedes Benz and BMWs and amazing foreign luxury hotels and amazing restaurants and cafes and big life. And, you know, it's totally different, which is why I'm going to tell you, if you get a chance to go to Russia, you have to go because it's not crazy and dangerous the way it was in that sense. The, the amount of bribing we did on the street even to cops and all that. We bribe cops all the time. A lot of that is gone. The corruption is still massive, but it's just changed in its nature. But the people are amazing. And Moscow, St. Petersburg are amazing places to go to, to see as a tourist. You know, you go for a week, once in your life, and you got to do it. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's just incredible. Wow. Huh. All right, friends, for more information about Joe and to order an autographed hardback copy of his new book, you can go to vodkahookers.com. Also, the Kindle version, I believe, is on Amazon as well right now. So, it is. Joe, thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Joe. We always love talking to you. You have an open invitation to our podcast here anytime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I love being with you guys. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. It's completely free, you guys. This helps us out big time with the folks who track this stuff. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to please rate or even write us a review on Apple Podcast. We need as many as we possibly can, even if it's just one sentence. Thank you for listening, you guys, and sharing us with your friends. 